Um, my name's Frank Cassidy, and I run a place called Boxing Gas. There we go, nice and easy. Yeah, that, I, I think I, I managed that first question, yeah. Hit record now. Sure. And then we'll just have a chat, basically. So the, there's only one question that I have for anyone that comes on this podcast, and that's who are you and what do you do? Who am I? Um, my name's Frank Cassidy, and I run a place called Boxing Gas. There we go, nice and easy. Yeah, that, I, I think I, I managed that first question, yeah. That's it. It's all downhill from one. now. Well, it's the only question, so you don't have to try, try twice. Good. Um, so what's Boxing Gas, then? What is Boxing Gas? Um, Aside from being this huge... I'm going to say the word man cave just because it is the dream man cave for anyone. That's very kind There's of you to say. what, 12 Porsches in here? Yeah, something like that. And we're on this lovely mezzanine, which means there might be a bit of an echo, but who cares? Yeah, acoustically, it's not great for that. And when I was setting up the speakers, when we first moved into the space, it wasn't great. Um, yeah, so, so boxing gas. Um, I see it. And hopefully other people see it also as a uniting force, is the idea, I think. Okay. The idea is that um, I've been a Porsche enthusiast for longer, forever, for as far as I can remember, more or less. And along the way, along the way I've met a lot of great enthusiasts and a lot of industry professionals. And so I sold my business in 2015 and kind of milled about trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And then slowly bit by bit the idea of creating a place where I could unify these industry professionals and enthusiasts in one place um, came about. So I think of us as a house, and I right, think the yeah. people that come here, they make it a home. That's a very nice way to describe that. <laughs> That's a very lovely description of, of what you're building here, because obviously it's not just this building. Yeah. There's other units on the site that have yeah. people doing interesting things. So from a technical standpoint, not a philosophical standpoint, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's a 100-acre it's a uh, rural estate with woodlands and lakes. And on site we have, uh, what is it, 18,000, 20,000 square feet, which is constructed, built. I occupy um, a third of that with um, my own stuff, my own cars and projects. And then... Next door in the other units, we have um, one of England's longest-standing poor specialists yeah. um, that do all the restoration and um, uh, mechanical work at Boxing Gas, I guess. And then we've got another 30,000 square feet coming over, which will be finished, I want to say first quarter of next year. Nice. But don't hold me to it, because building work is building work. That's all right. I'm not going to add yeah. the date to my calendar. Like, <laughs> Frank, fine. it's March. When's yeah, it yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Um, so yeah, and then, and then we lease those buildings. We, I, I build them, basically, and then lease them to businesses that fit what I believe Boxing Gas is about. Yeah. And Porsche is in our DNA, but our enthusiasts have more interest than just Porsche. Right. Um, and our Megaphonics, which is our annual uh, air-cooled Porsche event, kind of reflects that, because we bring in a lot of brands that aren't necessarily just about Porsche. There's sunglass brands, there's fashion brands, there's jewellery brands, there's all sorts, alongside all the usual stuff. Yeah. Um, but we're just tapping into the, the different facets to our, to our demographic. And I think that we need to do that as a site as well. And when you look at Porsche as a brand, they're incredibly progressive and certainly ahead of most brands which are out there. Yeah. So in terms of like all their marketing and their sponsorships and their partnerships and everything they do across social media, certainly, um, they're constantly doing 
they're constantly appealing to a wider audience of, than their own or to the multiple different facets yeah, yeah. to their demographics. So they just had something with, I'm going to pronounce her name bad, but with Emma Raducanu recently. I so yeah, it's, it's, so, so it's, it's, quite, it's quite diverse. Yeah. Um, and I think Type 7, which is one of the Porsche brands, which is out there as well, they're, they're very good at that. So they tap into architecture, design, art, all sorts of things. Yeah, well, I can see on your bookshelf there that there's the Type 7 Volume 1. Yeah. Um, which is quite a thick book. I, I didn't know it was going to be that big. Yeah, it's a big one, that one. Um, I missed out on volume two. I was busy doing stuff, and now I can't get a copy. But uh, yeah, I've got volume three <laughs> as well. But anyway, so, so yeah, so overall, yeah, Boxing Gas, um, yeah, I think is, I, I hope that it would, it would tap into the different facets to our, to our demographic. It's more of the, the culture surrounding what you do and mm. everything. It's not just that we're cars. There, there's well, more to it. it. It's like, it's like um, Carby, who runs Deus, um, he's, he's a Porsche enthusiast. Mm. Or like Reno, who does The Great Frog, which is a jeweler that's been around since 1972, done all the Rolling Stones, all the big bands. He's a Harley Davidson guy, but he's also a Porsche enthusiast. Yeah. Um, and then loads of the guys, they're also cafe racer guys. They're also like, I don't know, kind of heritage brands like Dickies and Carhartt, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So there's, 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 there's a certain stereotype, I think, for our demographic in a way. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think, I think we should appeal to more than just one facet it'll be in our dna always but we'll yeah expand upon it. to a certain extent i i have a similar kind of ethos with what i'm doing is that it's not it's not pigeonholed to one to a specific car but it's also not just pigeonholed to one type of enthusiast it's a let's share this passion we have a passion for for automotive for mechanical let's share that passion and let's create community around that passion it's not just I drive BMWs, therefore mm. I am a BMW guy or I'm a Toyota guy. Or It's a bit more broad than that, and it hopefully helps people feel included in something that they might not necessarily have thought was possible. Totally. Um, and I think one of the great things about Porsche is that it's not an exclusive brand. Mm. I think there are, there are a lot of brands out there which the barrier to entry is quite high or the cost of entry is quite high. I think with Porsche, you can get in there at like a 924, like two, three grand, or a Boxster of that kind of same money. Yeah. Uh, maybe three, four, um, all the way up to multi million pound collector cars. So you get people from all different walks of life. It's a very broad church. Yeah. Um, so the brand is very inclusive. Um, yeah, and I think that's fucking cool. I agree. And I've got friends that have got 944s, and I've got friends that have got 959s, mm. but they're still, they're all friends. Mm. Like, they will meet and they'll be like, oh, how's it, how's it going? And they'll catch up and they'll treat you like a person. It's not a, well, you, you've not got a £100,000 Porsche, so I'm not going to talk to you. It's, oh, you like cars? Great. Let's chat. Let's be friends. Like, I met the guy with a 959 by chance at Bista, and he was just a friendly guy. And he was like, oh, do you want to have a go? Yeah, take it for a drive. Take my million-pound car for a drive. And I nearly shit myself, but it was a, <laughs> yeah, okay, then, if, you, if you're sure. Yeah. And that's just kind of the, the beauty of the car world and the Porsche guys in particular. It's, it's very open and encompassing. It's not a, you have to hit X amount of money to enter this club. You can mm-hmm. have a 924 that's a bit ropey and a bit ratty, and you can turn up at an event and you'll be included as a Porsche guy. Like, yeah. That's a real beautiful part of that. Sure. And I think it's something that people outside of the car world don't see. They see Porsche, they see the expensive stuff, and they go, oh, it must be a Porsche wanker. Even though that's not the case, it's so much more broad and, and inviting than that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, so you said that you sold your business to start before you started all of this. Yeah. Just a bit of background, because I never really knew. <laughs> There's nothing interesting nothing. to it. I, I'm, I'm effectively, 
a sofa salesman, homeware and electronics. Right. But there was a lot of sofas. Um, just at volume then? Yeah, so just a huge volume. Uh, department stores, online retailers all across Europe and America. And sold that, started this. Sold that. Um, not in that immediate, like out of one and into the Yeah, not, not immediately. <laughs> um, you know, what's, well, there were a few failures in between uh, with different ideas that just didn't work out. But, uh, but no, just little by little, this, you know, it's, it's what I love. I, I, I love Porsches. I love the community. I like bringing people together. Um, you know, 75% of the reason why I love these cars are the people. Yeah. There's a crucial 25, which is the actual cars themselves, because they're, they're absolutely awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, I just love, I just love, I just love it. The, the, the great thing about them also is that you know a lot of Porsches are driven. A lot of Porsches are really driven. They're really, um, they're modified. They, um, you know, there are other brands out there where you have to be careful of the mileage. You have to be careful of modifications, that kind of stuff. Um, and that's boring. And I'm, I'm more interested in, in stories than I am of anything else. So like a car that's gathering dust in the corner of my garage, I've got no real time for. It's not really where my heart lies. Yeah. Something like my dream car, like someone asked me this recently, they said to me, what's your dream Porsche? My dream Porsche is a really high mileage ship box, for want of a better word. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that's running. So that, so that's a complete car. Um, that's got huge miles on the clock. So, and to me, that's a blank canvas mm. for me to create something that is the embodiment of what driving means to me. I think cars, car, cars, cars are uh, are mass produced for, uh, for 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 to appeal to as many people as possible. Mm. Um, and as a result, uh, I think they can be compromised. We're all individuals with individual requirements. Yeah. So fundamentally, if you can take a car and make it your own. And that's something very, very personal. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw them with a modified yeah. car. I can completely get yeah, yeah, yeah. that theory. Like, and don't get me wrong. I love, I love a standard car. I think they have their place, certainly. But something that you've driven to the, to the moon and back, made crazy memories, great memories with, with friends, whether it's on circuit, up alpine passes, wherever. Yeah. Um, and made it your own by, by, I don't know, doing your modifications. That, that is the type of... That is the type of car, car that gets under my skin. That's the type of enthusiast that gets under my skin. Yeah, and it has, uh, it has more value than just its, its material worth, then, doesn't it? It's mm. got so much more attached to it than you can put numbers on or put any sort of data towards. It's, there's no way to go, oh, how happy has this car made you? There, there's not a barometer for that. It's just no. when you look back on a car, what, what experiences have you had? Like, I'll take my Toyota, for example. That engine blew up, and that was a horrible thing. And I spent six months without a car, and I hated that car because of it. And then I got it back, and then I started tinkering with it, and then I started doing more adventures and learning how to kind of love that car and how to be in rhythm with it. And I look at that car so fondly, even though sometimes it's an absolute pain in the arse. But the overall kind of, when I eventually have another car and that car gets used a little bit less, it will hold that place of, I did this with it, I did that with it, I got it when I was too young and too stupid to be financially sensible, (laughs) and... All of this kind of stuff is then connected to that car. Yeah. And it's not about the car itself in terms of how fast is it, how much money is it worth, how quickly can it do a lap. It's well, what place in your heart does that car yeah. hold? Now, the problem for you is you've got quite a few cars, so they all get divided into smaller chunks, whereas mine's 50% of my car. problem is one way to put it, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm uh, in a fortunate position to have, yeah, to have a few cars at my disposal. So yeah. what... I, I would say that your collection that I can see here predominantly is earlier than 993, yeah. with a couple of exceptions. Obviously, the big wide-body blue 993 is 
993. So you're, you're towards that end of Porsche ownership. I mean, that seems to be your kind of place. Yeah, it, interestingly enough, I think, well, to give, you the, to give you the background, when I wanted to buy a 911, the, the current 911 was a 996, which I would love to have buy, bought, mm-hmm. but I, there's no way I could afford a new Porsche. So the first 911 I bought was a 964 for, uh, what was it? It was £8,000. Or was it £7,000? Anyway, the point is, is it was, that was what you bought when you couldn't afford, you know, what's called a new 911. You bought one of the cheaper ones and the cheapest ones you could get were the 964s. Yeah, before Singer got the whole um, of them. Yeah, so to me, it's quite funny. It's, it's, it's a weird thing when, to me, like a 964 is a seven grand car and I'm looking at Singer's at 1.8 million. Yeah, yeah. And I see the value. I mean, those are incredible cars and the engineering that goes into them is absolutely phenomenal. And to live in a world where there is a, there is a case to build a four-valve per cylinder air-cooled engine is absolutely incredible. Yep. That's fantastic because you couldn't, you couldn't have sold that in the 90s or the 80s. <laughs> but um, to live in a world where there's a demand for that, I think it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's fantastic. Um, but, yeah, I can't remember where we're going. <laughs> you had a 964. Oh, no, it's, it's easy. These tangents yeah. happen, and I'm the worst for it, so I'm, I'm trying to behave and not... No, you asked me a question. I went off complete tangent. You've got a 964. So you're kind of... Your yeah, so the earlier stuff. Older stuff. Yeah, yeah so, so for, for, I don't know. I, I've always had more of an eye for older stuff, really. I think, like, it's, it's aged. It's got a story. Um, and uh, the design has had time to kind of uh, to mature. Um, they, just, they just have more appeal for me, really. I think it's, it's very easy to jump into a modern car and just get on your way, mm. whereas there's something quite challenging about keeping an old car on the road and therefore rewarding, yeah. and keeping it on the road in the sense that keeping it mechanically on the road and also keeping it on the road in terms of your driving, driving ability. <laughs> um, now, that's not to say I don't appreciate modern cars. I do, 100%. Um, you know... Uh, but my heart tends to lie with the older stuff. But the modern cars, I, I have huge amounts of appreciation for. I mean, it's, it's technically an amazing feat of engineering to be able to have a car, you know, like a 991 Turbo that produces crazy horsepower and yet is also something that's completely consumer-friendly that your grand could drive. Yeah. I mean, that is an impressive feat of engineering. There's no doubt about it. But um, for me, where I feel most comfortable is really in the older stuff. And, and interestingly enough, every time I've, gotten, I've gone older, um, with the cars, I've fallen in love a little bit more. So at the moment, like uh, f- the three five six I have is really underneath my skin. Yeah, um, just... I think that's what you were driving when we bumped into each other at the last scramble. Yes, that's it. Yeah, um... yeah, yeah. We're just sorting out some issues with that car to get it just right. But um, yeah, there's something delicious about the early cars. There's a sensory feeling. They tend to dance. Is is the best way I can describe it without. Without um, sounding too, I don't know what's the word, crass, <laughs> but they, it feels wanky, like but. it feels yeah, exactly. It feels it's very sensory. It's very much in the fingers and the yeah. the, the way the car moves around you, the lightness of it. Um, it's just a just a, the weight transfer. Um, yeah, they're just they're lovely little tools. Well, I've, so before I came over here to record with you, I was with Richard um, Tuttle, who, and the podcast come out in recording order, so that will be the last one that people have heard, mm. and he invited me for a passenger ride in a car shakedown and to, I've not spent much time in old 911s my dad had a 996 turbo mm-hmm. which I'd driven and we took to Spain and stuff like that so I, my experience around Porsche has mainly been water cooled mm. but to be in the passenger seat with someone who really knows those cars through and through and mm-hmm. knows how they handle and how to 
really maximise that car to its full potential. And then it, it's a car that he's built and it's, it's not standard. You really get a feel for why people love these cars because mm. it was, there was a particular corner we were approaching at speed and I could feel the car start to rotate as we were turning in and you could feel the back start to come out and it was all fluid and it was almost like he was having a conversation with this car mm. because you have to really know what you're doing and feel and be present in that moment when you're driving a, a car like an old 911 because they will kill you if you don't really yeah, appreciate it for what it is and they got the Widowmaker title because of the people not really driving them properly being a bit too aggressive and thinking that oh yeah it's a modern back in the day modern sports car will be fine and then you're backwards into a tree and it's really nice to encounter more people within old Porsches that speak the same language you know yeah you have to be involved in it and you have to be present mm. in it and there's a certain like mental aspect to that and you're almost doing mindfulness then it's almost a an activity that forces you to be in that moment oh you have to yeah yeah definitely i mean there's there's no space in your mind to be thinking about anything else mm. you know people do lots of different i mean again this, we're going down the road of more cliches but they're true unfortunately <laughs> but um people do different things for mindfulness whether it's meditation going to the gym this that, and the other um but there's suddenly something to be said for having to concentrate absolutely um in order to get um you know, an imperfect little machine yeah. um, perfectly down the road. Um, and it's those imperfections that make it. You yeah. know, imperfections are of a human trait. Um, so, I've, again, I think you get these kind of relationships with all the cars where there's that imperfection, that very human trait, and um, there's, there's some kind of depth there, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But, you um, get that thing where yeah. when it all connects, it all goes right. Yeah. It doesn't feel like you've steered a machine. It feels like you've had a connection with another being almost. And it's mm. like you want to tap it on the dashboard and go, oh, well done, that was great. Yeah. And there isn't that like, oh, I've piloted this machine down this road. You're like, oh, we've done it. We've made it. it that was amazing. Mm. I've had a great experience with you. And you then go, oh, I'm talking to a bloody metal box with mm. some moving but it's, parts. But it's so, it's so, you're absolutely right. But it's so, it's so sensory. Yeah. It's all in the feeling. You know, like you, you can feel everything that's going on. You can feel the texture of the road underneath the tyres through your fingertips in the seat of your pants. Yeah. You know, all these different things. So there's that, that level of communication um, is, is spine tingling. A lot of the modern stuff, again, I feel like I'm bashing modern stuff, but I really do appreciate them. They're, they are awesome cars. But a lot of the modern, modern stuff, they do sanitize that mm. to the point where you haven't got all those sensory feelings. So when the car eventually lets go, you know, what's called... It the, it's it's pretty, It's pretty far gone yeah. because the computers have got, finally got to a point where they can't save you. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the church of the converted here. You know, there's, Richard certainly knows this 911. He certainly knows how to pilot them. And he's probably much better articulating it all than I am. It was interesting. But, uh, so yeah. he was doing the shakedown of the car before it went to a customer. And he was explaining what he was feeling while he was driving. Mm. And it wasn't recorded. So nobody else is going to hear this, hear what happened in the car or anything like that. And there's a bit where I, we were coming back and I went, if I was a bit more influencer-focused, I'd have probably been recording this. And he was like, it's a good job you're not, because I wouldn't have let you. I was like, great. Um, but there was this, as we were going along, he was going, oh, I'm feeling this from the rear, and that's because these parts that we've swapped are now doing this instead of that. And he was just really well-connected, but also able to explain why. Mm. And it is like another language. It, it's that ability to translate what you're feeling in you. Well, in your butt and in your hands and through your body as an extension of this car and then go, right, I understand what this means. 
and I understand how to communicate that so that if something isn't quite right or if something isn't the way that I want it to be, I know what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And it's a really kind of interesting thing to experience is someone that knows how to translate that language. Mm -hmm. Because I, to a certain extent, know what I'm talking about more than the lay person. But I'm not Richard Tuttle level of connected to a car. And that probably because I haven't spent 8 million miles behind the seat of a 911. But it is like really, it's quite a special thing to be experienced. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's, it's one of those where not many people will have had that passenger ride. Yeah. I can't imagine there's that many people that Richard goes, jump in the passenger seat and I'll take you for a spin. Yeah. And it's just it's so interesting. Like It's so, so interesting. Mm. And also really hard to explain. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, I, I got sure. out of the car and I texted one of the half. I was like, she was like, oh, I've not, I've not texted her since I got there, which I'm really bad at doing. I should be a little bit more like, I'm here, I'm safe, I'm alive, I'm not died. I turned up in my sports car, nobody's killed. <laughs> and I texted her just to say I'm here. And she was like, oh, how's it going? I was like, uh, it's an interesting morning. So I, I can't really explain how interesting it is, but it's awesome. She went, what do you mean? Have you won the lottery? Like, give me some context. I was like, oh, I went for a passenger ride in this old 911. Mm. She was like, oh, right. I was like, no, you don't understand just how impactful that passenger ride in an old mm. 911 is mm. until you've been in an old 911 at full kind of, not maximum attack, but driven properly down a good bit of road. And you must have those moments all the time with taking these lot out. No, interestingly enough, I, well, I was, I was, my insurance was up for renewal not that long ago. So <laughs> we... Um, we had a look at the amount of mileage that I cover. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. There's, I, I've got an agreed, um, what is it, 10,000 miles a year. Per car? Uh, no, in, in, total. in total. I can't, I can't drive 10. Like, there's, there's, yeah, no, that, that would be... Mindset at five, and every year I have to double it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, like, um, yeah, I, I've had some good times. And, and I, think, I think last year we went, no, this year, because we're not done yet, we went to Europe five times. We did the Alpine tour, and that's about three and a half thousand miles. How did that, I've not seen you since you went. Yeah, that was phenomenal. I mean, I've been doing it since I care to remember. I was baptized actually in the mountains in the Alps in Switzerland. Wow. So I've got an affinity with that place. My dad used to ski in, um, ski in Switzerland. So there's something about the mountains and the Alps that just kind of is, resonates with me for some reason. And um, yeah, I've been doing Alpine tours and going out there since, since I can pretty much remember. Um, <laughs> And uh, no, it's phenomenal. And it, there's just, there's a wonderful combination of like phenomenal roads, fantastic cars with a wonderful soundtrack, great friends, the food. It's got all the right ingredients really yeah, to, yeah. To, to, to be phenomenal. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was great. Good, nice and short answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was great. But it was, it was actually quite, quite, quite funny. I, I took a car that I hadn't taken before. So it's a... Um, it uh, started off life as a 912 69 uh, car, and it's basically built, been built up to ST spec. Right. Okay. So it's now, um, so it's running a 915 gearbox, which is a five-speed, um, delicious little unit. They often get bad, uh, get a bad reputation, undeservedly so. Uh, usually it's because those boxes haven't been rebuilt. They need to be fresh, basically. But right. when they're fresh, they're just one, if not my favorite, Porsche gearbox, 911 gearbox. And it's also running a, um, a three-liter MFI uh, ITB engine, forged internals and all the rest of it and um and it's 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 a lovely car the the size of it's just perfect for the alp for the alps it's nice and lightweight um the power is just exactly what you need 
Um, and in a car that weighs, what, 900-and-something, you know, with close to, close to 300 horsepower, it, it does well. It does well. The only issue is that what's called, it, it's, I, got, I went down, we, may, we all met up in Folkestone, um, stayed the night there, and then the next morning we got onto the train to cross the, to, in the Eurotunnel. And uh, I went to start the engine, and the car just would not start. And I was getting mad just starting. I was trying to crank, 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 crank. And all the guys are like, what's going on? Are you all right, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't know. It's not starting. And I can, I can, you can smell the, the, the build-up fuel. It's, it's building up, so I'm pushing in the pump to stop it chucking fuel in there, yeah. you know, stopping the pump to stop the fuel getting in there while still cranking over, and it just won't catch. And what it was is simply it's, all these cars have idiosyncrasies, and you need to know how to, you know, they, each one have their own starting procedure and so on. And the problem is, is that car... Um, all the other engines had switched on so I couldn't hear the fuel pump priming how much had gone in and just hear just the, heard the right noise you know just to know that that's the moment when yeah, the crank yeah. let, off the, let off the throttle or whatever so I ended, up, I ended up flooding the thing and it got to a point where like the battery in the car just completely died <laughs> and then one of the guys brought out a battery pack we tried to jump aside a few times it just wasn't happening oh. so I was like listen guys just get on the train and go ahead and I'm feeling guilty right now because I'm the one who's organised this whole trip and I'm, I'm not there they're heading the off world, without yeah. me so I say just go I'm going to call the RAC bowl so I call, um, I call the RAC and in the meantime for whatever reason I decide to pull down the passenger window and uh, as I'm winding it down suddenly the window falls straight into the door I'm like fuck and um, thankfully it didn't shatter but yeah. it did fall down in there um, so I think okay right well I've, I've got to sort this out because otherwise I can't spend the whole trip with this window open We've got yeah, three. That's if the RSC guy even manages to start the car but at least you know give me something to do while I'm waiting for him at like 5, 6 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was by that time and um, so I get the screwdrivers out I take apart the whole door card I have a look it's the, the glass has come out of the runner um, and I'm thinking right I've got to find a way to wedge it up there so I wind it all the way up and yeah, I've got to find a thing to wedge it under. So I look around the car park and I spot in the corner of my eyes a, um, a, a skip. Right. I'm thinking, I need a piece of wood. So I jump into the skip. <laughs> At this point, I'm like covered in grease and sweat, you know, beards everywhere, the whole lot. <laughs> and I'm rummaging around this skip trying to find a piece of wood that would fit. I finally find a pallet that I stamp on to, to break. At this point, hotel guests are starting to wake up. So they're walking into the car park and I look like this mad, crazy man <laughs> in a skip, you know, just yeah. rummaging about. And finally, I find a piece of wood. And just as I'm getting out of the skip, there's the RAC. I realize the RAC van is just sitting there, just kind of waiting for the driver of the car. <laughs> and that's when I have to admit to me. You appear from the skip yeah. with some wood, all triumphant. But, you know, it, it all worked. I put the piece of wood in there, uh, duct taped the top of the glass. That was job done. The RAC man comes, comes over and I say to him, listen, have you got any um, carb cleaner? So we're spraying that in. He's got his big industrial, um, what do you call it? Battery, uh, pack. battery pack and we're cranking 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 to the point where eventually his one dies so that's it you know and he says well, we're going to have to tow you back so we're about to put the car on the train and I say listen let's just try one more time with the little jump pack that my friend left with me that's probably got enough juice just for a couple more cranks yeah, yeah. turn the key and boom the thing lit up it's like it new isn't it it's it like just, it lasts it's, it's like it's new it's like you. oh it's the last train I better get on yeah you know? it was like oh, I don't want to oh. go at six I want to sit here for yeah. it he's having a lie in that's all that, that was mad so, so, so yeah so then eventually I get on the train and I catch up with everyone and then what else by you know the gearbox the, the, the 915 is the second gear is quite um, synchro is quite weak um, 
and uh, that now needs a rebuild. The gearbox now needs a rebuild. Um, yeah, the, that car, the brakes. There was one right-hand caliper that started sticking towards the towards the end of the trip. So I limped the thing home, but yeah. it got me home. You know, I didn't end up stranded by the side of the road. And I imagine there was so. a sense of like triumph when you. Oh, made there it was back, definitely like... a sense of triumph when I got back here. You know, in, and in the car and not sitting in the cab of an RAC van. Yeah, I was feeling very triumphant. <laughs> Like in the moment, you feel yeah. like absolute shit. Oh, like, oh, this is the worst awful. thing. Ever. I'm yeah. going to set this thing on fire and never be near it again. But then after you've got that and you've got these yeah. stories... And, and would I change anything? No. Did yeah. I have a phenomenal time with that car, little car up in the mountains? Yes. It was an absolute riot the whole time. The soundtrack, just the intensity, all of it was absolutely awesome. And, and it's moments like that where, you know, where you suddenly go, okay, right, that's it, I'm done. I'm going to fix this thing enough, get it, you know, fix this thing, I'm going to sell it, and yeah. I'm going to buy myself a modern 911 with a warranty, you know, and I don't have to deal with any of this yeah. rubbish. You know, and there is such a strong case for that. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I love that green car. I've made great memories with it now. Um, yeah. It served me well. It got me home. And there's something to be said for a, 16, for a car from 69, you know, a machine that's that old. Yeah. Um, to have got me there and back today in 2022. Years, over 50 years old, isn't it? Yeah, like, it's, it. it's impressive. Like mm. our little Renault um, has had the window mechanism break, yeah. and I had the exact same. Like, oh, <sighs> fuck's sake! Yeah. Fortunately, the driver's side one had gone previously, and we repaired it. Mm. And I had a temporary bodge, and I bought some um, building shims and those little wedges. So when the passenger side went, I was like, oh, <laughs> fortunately, quite prepared for this. So I was able to just wedge it up and then I, I knew, I took the door card apart and I saw all of the, the plastic tension thing and just, just obliterated it, so I just smashed a bit. So I was like, all right, I can't repair this part, I've got to replace it. Mm. So I stripped all of the, the bits off and I ended up with this metal rod. Mm-hmm. So that's now wedged underneath the, the track and I'm in the same boat where I'd made a thing to hold it up until we can fix it and my new mechanism's just arrived so I can finally fix the thing. But we've had a lot of similar kind of things because that Renault is five hundred pounds. Mm. It's not going to be perfect. It, yeah. It's we've had so many instances of having to get this thing sorted. Like we we got we broke down in Aylesbury on the way back from an event, and it was the week where we had that like mini fuel crisis where all the petrol stations ran out. Mm. So we stopped in Aylesbury, and I thought it'd run out of fuel. So I walked to a petrol station, bought a jerry can, filled it up, and it still didn't work. And it was um, there's a plastic gasket between the bottom of the carb and the top of the headers that stops them from like melding to each other and it had snapped so it just created a vacuum leak which we didn't know until we got it home mm-hmm. and that was one o'clock in the morning on the back of an AA van but while we were broken down we'd pulled into a bus stop that was across from a takeaway mm-hmm. and it was all like Iranian guys in this takeaway so they came running out to see to try and help like just immediately like oh the bonnet's up it's an old car they came running out trying to help and one of them was saying something in, in Iranian. I think they were Iranian. I can't remember. And the other guy was go, who spoke English went, oh, he's a mechanic, but he doesn't speak any English. So I'll translate. But, so we were trying to get this bloody car to start. And they were bringing us bottles of water. And after a couple of hours of sitting there waiting for the AA, they brought us a pizza out and everything. Now, the situation itself was crap, right? Grace and I were stuck in a place that we'd never been before. And it was cold and it was dark. But the, mom, the, the memory of that situation is a really positive one mm. because we had this whole adventure happen around this broken car. In a normal car, I'd have just gone home. Like, I'd, have just, I'd have driven from the event home and nothing would have, I won't have this story, mm. I won't have any of these memories. 
and that little Renault is such a little like working class hero. It, it has no ego, no kind of sense of grandeur or anything like that. If it turns on, you're having a good day. <laughs> and it's a very similar thing to, to your, your 911 mm. with when you have something to overcome, you get such a sense of accomplishment. Definitely. You don't get that when everything just goes right. No, and I mean, you know, there are so many different examples of that. I mean, like, you know, another one is like music. You know, there was a time when like, you know, I'm, I'm waxing lyrical here, but there was a time when music was designed to be an album. So every song before and after was designed to work as a free flowing yeah. thing. Um, and vinyl was very good for that because you can't easily skip between one song and the other. So you would put on a vinyl at the very beginning and you'd listen to it all the way through, which meant you had a level of commitment there yeah, as yeah. well. So it was a much more rewarding experience. And also there was no, you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to find the vinyl that you really want when you're, going shift, when you're sifting through markets and this and the other. So when you finally have it and it's this tangible thing that, hold, that you hold in your hand, yeah. it sounds that much better yeah, than yeah. just this you know, thing that you, tell it, that you download and within a second and it's just a, a piece of music you listen to the background while you're doing something else. You there, just, you know, oh, I've heard this one, I've heard this one, I've heard, and you just skip on through and find mm. the one that you're actually thinking of. Mm. Uh, no, there yes, is something right. to be said for the for the old ways. It's like the, the furniture in here as well. I have a thing for for mid century design, um, and it's the same thing. You know, it's, it's googling, searching around um, to try and find pieces that you really want, as opposed to something you can just order off the shelf. There's a, a lot to be said for having a method and a process, mm. and it's something that we we don't have to do unless it's by choice most of the time these days. So something like I, I have it with my morning routine is to get up and make a cup of coffee and read a magazine, like and I'm like a quarterly, not just your top gear mag or anything. And there's a process to follow in making a cup of coffee from scratch. I could buy a pod machine or I press a button and I get a cup of coffee, mm. but then it's not the same. Mm. There's a there's a certain kind of value and a certain kind of mindfulness and it's kind of good for you as a person and for the soul to, to make something from scratch mm. that you then get the pleasure of enjoying and you get to experience a job well done kind of thing at sure. the end of it. And it's just a, it's a bloody cup of coffee at the end of the day. Yeah. But there's a nice ritual. But it's, yeah, it's you part know. of my morning routine. Yeah. Same with like washing the dishes. It's just, I wash the dishes in the morning and it means that I spend 10 minutes not distracted by anything. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not mm. listening to music. I'm not doing anything other than just washing the bloody dishes. And it's, it's that process and it's that kind of just being present in what you're doing. And the more things that we do that kind of require that, the kind of the more involved in your own life that you are, you're not relying on stuff to happen for you. You spend an hour flicking through records to find the one that you were hoping you could find. And then you get home and you get to put that on and experience it in its entirety without having to just go, right, I'm going to press a button and it's going to be done for me. Mm. You, you are so much more involved and you therefore get so much more value out of it. And that really draws a parallel straight back to your, your classic 911. You are involved in that and mm. you have to be part of that process. You can't just get up in the morning, turn it on and nail it down a road. No, you're right. You've got to turn it on. You've got to mollycoddle it until the, the oil temperature is just right, you know, until the tyres are warmed up. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, there's, there's definitely a sense of reward for putting in the work. Which is... A value that people possibly don't acknowledge enough and hopefully having more conversations like this will encourage more people to to seek out that value and it doesn't even have to be cars or coffee just anything that you currently do that you can just do at a press of a button try doing it without that yeah and just seeing how much more value you get from it 
like taking a photo. I've got an iPhone, it's got a really good camera, considering what it is. But I also would like to learn how to use a camera properly. Like I've borrowed a camera today and I've put it on manual everything to try and learn it. And mm. it's not the fact that I might have missed something and I, it's not very often you spend a morning around all the stuff that's at Tuttle or all the stuff that's here. And I may miss some photos that I would have been able to get much better with my phone. Mm. But when I get one that works, oh my God, that photo is going to mean but so even, much But even if that photo is not as good as the one you take on your iPhone, the fact of the matter is, is the backstory. Yeah. The picture is nothing. Yeah, it's yeah. actually everything leading up to the picture. It's the process. It's the ritual going into it. You, and you know, I, I love my photography also. It's like there, there's one picture um, that I took that was a bucket list picture for me. Um, there's the Furka Pass, which is famous for, uh, for, for where the DB5 was filmed in James Bond, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a hotel there called the Grand Belvedere Hotel. Um, that's been shot in derelict for a very long time. And it's on a hairpin, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And you'll probably have seen it online. Lots Anderson of people are taking pictures. That's it. Yeah. Lots of people are taking pictures in front of it, blah, blah, blah. And it is, um, it is probably about three, four hours from where I was staying in Switzerland one time when I was out there. And so I drove all the way out there. Um, finally got there and I'm at the bottom of the valley and the bottom valley you can see the Furka Pass and you can also see the Grimsel Pass and I'm looking up and I'm looking at the Furka Pass and I'm thinking that's bright and sunshine um, and so is the Grimsel Pass the Grimsel Pass looks a bit dark but it's bright and sunshine-ish as well so so I'm going to do the Grimsel one first and then I'm going to do the Furka afterwards and get my bucket list shot so I go up, do the Grimsel Pass which was an awesome piece of road, fantastic with like an insane dam and a huge lake and like you get the drone up there and you get a real sense of scale yeah, yeah. and the sense of um, how the sense small of, you are yeah, the sense of yourself <laughs> and there's something to be said you know, there's, there is beauty in what is man-made sure, totally but there is something awe-inspiring about something you cannot explain. Yeah. You can look at the Eiffel Tower and go, that's incredible, or uh, Angkor Wat, or whatever, um, but you can explain it. You yeah, can yeah. say, that's, create, that's required this kind of artisan work, you know, this craftsman, this and the other. But there's something to be said that for things which are unexplainable, which are unexplainably beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just absolutely stunning. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. So I do the Grimsel Pass, and that's awesome. I get back down to the valley, and I look up back up the Furka Pass, and it is pissing it down in rain. <laughs> So, so I go up there and I can't, I know a lot of people can, but I cannot take pictures when it's overcast or when it's raining. It right. just whites out everything and I'm just terrible at it. I need really harsh contrast in order for me to get what I really want. So I go up there, I take the pictures and they're just awful. And then I go home with my, you know, um, with my tail between my legs. So eight hour round trip, more or less, you know, full, long, hard day, blah, blah. And, um, and then it gets to the point where we're leaving and, um, and we're going to go into Italy. This is my wife, um, who's, always my, uh, who's always my buddy on all these road trips. And, um, and, uh, and I say to her, so we can go the normal way to Italy. Or what we can do is we can go the hard way and go through the Furka Pass. She goes, how many more hours was that on? I was like, maybe just one. That'd be fine. It wasn't. It was about three. But by that point, she's in the car, it's too late. She's got no um, choice. No, but she's, to be fair to her, she's incredibly supportive of my stuff, you know, sort of, uh, of me. It's not always the easiest being, well, you'll know this, you know, being oh, married to someone who's yeah. completely addicted to cars. But um, anyway, so, so we go to the Grimsel Pass. The sun is out. Everything is right. Um, although there's a load of tourists absolutely everywhere. And every five seconds, there's like, there's cars going by, you know, what's called, so I can't get this bloody shot. <laughs> 
And then eventually there's a good spot where there's no other cars and blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly out of nowhere, a 996 comes in and it parks up right next to my car, which makes a fantastic photo because it's a great yeah, drive to position there. Car, yeah, no, no. But I, 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 as long as I get my picture of my car just there, that's fine. But also having his car there was fantastic because it was a really nice drive to position. It was a really nice 996, just a C2 um, with the, the, I think it was the earlier, um, uh, the earlier headlights, you know, with the yoke. And, um, and it was in midnight blue. It was very, very pretty. And the clouds reflected in the bodywork. And that just, you know, it looked fantastic because dark colors reflect really nicely. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that was good. And then, so we had a little chat, really nice guy. And we kept in contact. And I sent him the pictures and he was really happy afterwards. He finally moved out the way. I finally got my bucket list shot <laughs> and I was over the moon. But what's funny is that when I look at that shot, I think of all the stories behind it. To me, it's not just the image. It's everything I did to get that bloody shot. It's the failures before. It's the, if you were to switch by 180 degrees, if you were to turn by 180 degrees behind me, there were tourist vans everywhere, cars left, right and center, (laughs) you know, whereas it looks completely deserted and it almost looks like a studio shot. It's it's the Instagram effect, isn't it? You don't see the line of people. No, not at all. Not at all. But you know, what's called the, the photo, people were very kind about that photo when I, um, when I, when I shared it. Um, But yeah, no, it's, but yeah, to go back to what we're saying, there's a process, there's a, there's a ritual to certain things, yeah. and there's a rewarding nature to putting in the work for a result. And actually, a lot of the time, the result is just one facet of it, but actually the journey to get that result is the bit that is the most important part yeah, and yeah. the most enriching. 100%. I, I bought, um, I say I bought, I technically stole a Polaroid camera. <laughs> I, uh, the company I used to work for, they had four of them, and I borrowed one, and then the company went bust. Oh. So I just had the... I was like, oh, I'm technically keeping this then. Okay. Um, and I have never used a Polaroid camera, and I didn't really know what I was doing. And we were at Petrol Henderson Live, and I had it with me, and it was kind of quiet. So I thought, oh, I'll try and figure out how to get this to work. And I must have taken seven photos before I got one mm. that worked. Mm-hmm. But in the process of trying to figure it out, a friend of mine who's a photographer came over to where we were and we were chatting away and I was asking him about it. He was like, well, you want to adjust this and try this and try that. And because it's a modern Polaroid camera, I can connect it to my phone. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give me a viewfinder, but I can adjust settings with it. Mm-hmm. And he went, oh, you see that little arrow that keeps moving around? I was like, yeah, what is that? He was like, it's a light meter. When it's in the middle, take your photo. And it took me seven photos and a friend to teach me this lesson. Mm. But that Polaroid where it all works... And it's just a photo of my car in a field, effectively. But that photo means so much more to me because of all of this stuff that it took before I got that photo. If I'd have just turned it on, taken a photo, and that was it, it would just be another photo in a, in a stack of photos. Whereas mm. now it's something that I kind of treasure because I'm like, I, I learned an experience and I learned a skill to get to this point. And I've therefore achieved something. And it, it has more value than just a really nice photo. I could have some amazing-looking photos that I've taken on my phone that were easy to do. Mm. But I can have one okay Polaroid that doesn't really mean anything mm. other than the story that it has to tell. And it, yeah. it's, it's about that process. That's it. And it's That's the same it. with cars. Like working on cars and cleaning cars and maintaining cars and running cars and driving cars, there's a process to follow to really get the most out of it. Totally. You, you can't just... You don't appreciate it if it's easy. Like a modern 911, you turn it on and off you go. Yes, but it's a different type of appreciation. Because again, I, you know, I, I get pigeonholed as an air-cooled guy. <laughs> and that's fair enough. I get that. And it is, it is my, 
it is it is my tool of choice. Yeah. Having said that, I do appreciate the modern stuff. I've you know I've owned a KN, which I absolutely loved. It was an absolutely absolute beast of a weapon. And I also had a 997 Turbo, which was absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, uh, on paper, an alien would come down, and the 997 Turbo is a far superior car yeah. for sure than anything that's air cooled. I mean, there's, it's a no brainer. That car can do everything. Yeah. Um, if, if I was intelligent, which I'm not, that's the car I would own. It's not it's a classic air cooled Porsche. Choice, it? yeah. It's the thinking man's choice, not the idiot's choice. Yeah. You know? But I'm not here to be a thinking man. I'm here to be an idiot and to get those memories. And be happy at the end of the journey, right? <laughs> exactly. I'm a happy idiot, is what we're trying to get at. Yeah, ignorance is bliss comes from truth, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I look at, you know, I, I look around the room and I look at that car and I go, oh, okay, that was that trip when I went to South of France with Emma and we had the dog with us and that was that trip when I went into Switzerland and saw my sister and her first child. Um, you know, that car over there was the one I did the track day in Spa with, you know, and what's called, I, you know, and, and, and uh, I gave modern cars much more of a run for their money. You know, all the cars have, have a real connection for me and have made great memories for me. Yeah. Um, and I don't get attached to things. I don't get attached to cars, really. I get attached to the memories they allow me to make. Yeah. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to make memories, not to get attached to things. Yeah, well, that's, it's one of those where there's that question of, oh, what's the meaning of life and all of that? <laughs> and there's a certain amount of, it's not about what's the meaning of life. It's about the journey. It's about how much fun did you have? How many positive memories? How much experience have you, how much have you lived? The, the point of life is about living. It's not about making it as long as you can. It's about how much fulfillment and how happy you were through that life. Mm. And these are the kind of stories and the kind of experiences that create that. It's not necessarily how much money you've got in the bank or how expensive your car is. It's how much did you enjoy yourself? How happy were you? How fulfilled were you? What kind of a, did you live life to the fullest Mm. happened? And these are the kind of tools to create that. And a lot of the stuff that I do and all the the mental health stuff and the, the talking and getting people to engage more with one another is about creating that that good time mm. because when we have the dark times and when we have the low points it's those memories that help pull you out mm. because you will intrinsically have that positive feeling connected to it you can be having the shittest week you can be feeling super low and then you get in a car that makes you smile and it kind of all washes away even if it's just a half hour drive around the block you just don't need to think about life in such a negative term for that half hour mm. And you probably come out of it feeling a bit more refreshed and able to tackle the shit. Mm. Um, and these are the, the things and the conversations and the, the experiences that this podcast and the stuff that I try and do is really trying to encourage. Well, credit to you. I mean, I th- you know, it's, it's a valiant cause. And if there is a cause to have, that's a brilliant one to have. Well, thank you. Um, so, yeah, credit to you, dude. Um, but, oh, I don't know. These, so these conversations, are, they're not designed in any way. Mm. So there's no intrinsic flow for us to follow. There's no, oh, we've talked about that. Now let's talk about this. (laughs) I have question seven on my list. All I can really do is kind of say, what is it that you're you're up to next? Like, obviously, you've got the building work going on outside. Megaphonics 23 is probably in the pipelines of what you're up to. You've got a car on a ramp there. Is that the 356? Yeah, Jack... um, Jack is uh, is working on that. He's been doing a phenomenal job, to be fair. He's got a real attention to detail and takes a lot of initiative on this, that, and the other. Um, 
Yeah, and, you know, bless him, like, we started with the car going, okay, well, we should do this, this, and this, and then suddenly the the list snowballs, and <laughs> we've got this, 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 and this, and this to do, you know, yeah. while you're in there kind of jobs. Um, but, you know, the net result is the car's almost finished, and he's done a phenomenal job, and, and I'm really happy with it, and I can't wait to get it back on the road and get it dirty again, because it's far too clean as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Um, I don't like clean cars, I like dirty cars. I, you know what's called, sometimes when we do events here, like Megaphonics, I'll call the car, I'll call the car wash guys, and I'll go, guys, can you get in here and just clean, clean the car so it doesn't look like it's I've been the neglecting them, because yeah, they're, yeah. So, they're so dirty. It's like, the, I got back from the Alpine tour, it's terrible, I shouldn't be admitting this, but I got back from the Alpine tour, and I think it took me about a month and a half before I could be bothered to get the sponge and the bucket <laughs> out to clean the grime that was off that green car. Now, don't get me wrong, when I do it, I do it properly, so I use yeah. the right products and all the rest of it. But it's so boring to me. I have much more fun getting them filthy dirty yeah, yeah. than I do you know actually cleaning the grime off them <laughs> yeah. there's yeah. there's something to be said for cleaning a car when it's not a task mm. there's a I'm going to spend six hours just making this thing I'm proud of look pretty yeah there's a mindfulness to that too I guess yeah. there's a therapy yeah um, for sure but I completely subscribe to your theory of I like my cars to be dirty my yeah. 86 is absolutely ditched do you know there's, the there's been several times where we've been approached by detailing companies to get involved with megaphonics and I get it because I use detailing products on the cars. You know, I'm a big fan of a lot of the, the off-the-shelf products as well as the niche little ones as well. Um, and I get it. A lot of people clean their cars on the way here, so it makes sense and all the rest of it. But philosophically, as far as I'm concerned, Megaphonics is kind of the anti-concourse. Yeah, yeah. You know, up as it is. If you look at the cars that show up at the events, like 95% of them are all modified. They're all dirty. If it rains, and it's always, there's always been some kind of rain, unfortunately, at Megaphonics every year it's happened, um, it doesn't deter anyone. And I can see it from the sales and the amount of people that check in. That what's called, it doesn't deter that many people um, because we've got a really good community of real drivers. So, and, we're, and, I, and, and I think it's very important that we're very selective and, about the partnerships because, one, my job is to make sure that the partners I have, I deliver them... Uh, I deliver them a demographic that's interested in their products because otherwise they won't come back so it's bad for business um, and also ones that um, that uh, my demographic are going to enjoy that they can identify with so um, so with the detailing products and stuff like that it'd be great to have a partnership but the partnership's got to be right because we'll never do a best in show and so on and I, I totally respect car shows that do that it's yeah. very cool that's great I get that but if we were going to have an award it would be an award for the dirtiest car. It wouldn't be for <laughs> the, the most authentically dirty. Yeah, yeah, the one that's hard-earned. You know, yeah. the most rock chips. That rock chip came from that track day. That, you know, um, rock chip over there came from an Alpine tour. That sludge down the, so- down the side down there is, you know, that muddy track I went down. Yeah, it's yeah. a nice, dirty, used car ticking, its cool, ticking itself cool after a long run. Yeah. There's, uh, we, before we start recording, I was talking about um, meeting JK and the owner of Kurt Geiger at, oh, yeah. at the Scramble. Um, and the reason that I kind of found out about who uh, Neil from Kurt Geiger was is because he opened the door to his singer and it was ditched. It was covered in mud and road rash <laughs> and everything. Like, as you would really hope one of those is, you've got mm. a half million pound car that's designed to be the best driving experience you can. Go and bloody drive the thing. Mm. So he opens the door and I'm like, oh, I've not sat with this. Can I have a sit inside? So yeah, sure. Just hop on in. Just mind your feet on the carpet because it's, it's just been vacuumed because I got so much mud in here last time I drove it. And it was this like so much more appreciation for this car having been used. Mm. If it was absolutely pristine, great. I can appreciate it. But because it was dirty and it was covered in mud and road rash and all of that sort of stuff, 
it was just so much more interesting. It's like, oh, mm. thank you. You've got the money to spend on something like this and you're not doing it just mm. because it's an appreciating asset. You're like, no, I want to bloody drive the thing. That's the whole purpose of it. Definitely. It's like, what's that tear in the lever? Oh, well, that's where Biscuit, my dog, my mini schnauzer, you know, put his paw through the lever while we, went on the ro- while we were on the road trip. Yeah, you know, it's, it's stuff like that where you're like, oh, that's bloody annoying. But at the same time, it's, it's a memory, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a thing. There's, that's my dog and that's my wife and that is a trip that we did in whatever country and yeah, yeah that's a track day and that's this that and the other when a car speaks to you tells you its story that's fucking awesome yeah and then it's the same thing when you start looking through the history file you know and you go through and you're like oh they did this and they did that now why did he use that part and why is he suddenly using this one and obviously that didn't work and blah blah, blah. it's you get there's, to there's, learn the story there's a lot there's a lot about it not just the history that you or the, the the history that you make with the car but the car's previous history that's a lot of fun yeah you don't necessarily get that with a new car that's rolled off the showroom it hasn't got that texture yet the the other, the flip side of that is you then get the opportunity to create that history. Yeah. And there, there are people That's that true. buy these new cars and then go and use them as intended. Definitely. And, and they don't have all the problems that we have in owning old cars that break down and they're intelligent and they've got yeah. the one car to do it all and, you know. Well, the new 911 Dakar will be the, the go-to, let's hope people use them as intended. It'll be cars. really interesting to see what happens with that. It'll well, be really interesting to see what happens with that. Richard mentioned that he's ordered one. Has he's, he? He's, He's got one coming. Interesting. So I was asking him about it. So, oh, are you going to spec it? He went, probably be white. Mm. I was like, yeah, fair enough. Blank canvas. He's like, yeah. He's like, the first time I'll drive it is down through a woodland. Mm. I was like, yes, absolutely. Film it. Let us all see it, please. Mm. Because that is a person that can use that car properly. Definitely. And to be fair, if he has it in white, then all the scratches and so on that show through the primer won't be as obvious. Yeah. So he's probably <laughs> yeah. thought about it. Or maybe, maybe realizing. not. I don't know. Well, he said, I haven't really thought about it. I don't know when it's coming. And they've asked me to spec it. I've not had a think. And I might have to talk to some people who know how to do this thing properly. He's like, I've never yeah. bought a new car. So, yeah. but hopefully we get to see someone using it properly. Like, the, have you come across the Caraba on um, Instagram? He's no. got a Rothmans livery 991 that's Safari built. No idea. I'll send it to you. Yeah, it's yeah, really do. cool. Like, do you definitely? I've seen, I've seen, like I've seen a lot of and stuff like that. I've seen a lot of um, KN conversions um, and Porsche Classic. I don't know whether they've gone ahead with it, but they were thinking about putting together a kit oh, nice. that you could buy for the early KNs to convert them into off-roaders. I know uh, who's just bought off KN, so I might, if that kit does exist, I might send it to Well, him. when Porsche, um, Porsche are one of our principal sponsors and partners for the event, and um, they take an exhibit to pitch, and it wasn't this year, but last year they brought with them... Um, one of the KNs that had been fully kitted out with like a roof rack and like a ladder and oh, like a all. Dakar spec yeah it was really thing. cool it had a livery on it as well they'd driven it from Germany oh nice they, did they drive it through from Germany or did they truck it from Germany I can't remember but it came overnight um, for the event it was very cool to have it yeah there's yeah. some really cool stuff out there and there's there's a lot to be said about the versatility of Porsches as mm. well like you can have we'll say a 964 for the case of uh, just as an example you can get a 964 and you can turn it into a Singer. Mm. Or you can get a 964 and you can turn it into a Safari car. Or you can mm. get a 964 and you can leave it alone. And all three of those cars will be amazing fun, regardless of what you use it for. 964 is a brilliant platform. It's absolutely brilliant. It's got a lot more reinforcement than the early cars, so it's very good for chucking you know, stiffness at it or, um, or, or more power at it and all the rest of it, um, cages and this and the other. But um, no, it's a, it's a really good platform. And everything before is all torsion bars, 
and everything after is all multi-link rear end. So there's, there's something to be said for a 964. It's a very sweet spot. It's certainly one of my favorite 911s. That and the 72 stuff is where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is understandable why they've now become a little bit more sought after. It's mad. I can't believe the prices again have jumped massively. Again? Yeah, oh. apparently like a... I, I th- again, don't quote me on this. I don't spend that much time looking at the market. But I think the last time I was, you know... Um, uh, window browsing I was on piston heads and I think they're like they're like 60 70 grand for a good Carrera 2 coupe manual non-sunroof which apparently is something everybody wants all the time which I don't really get I like a sunroof yeah it's quite a nice thing to have yeah it is a nice thing to have that's insane yeah. though. they're so high there's probably this there's the nostalgia factor that happens with older cars there's people mm. had them as poster cars and then they become an age where they can actually start to afford that stuff yeah it starts to skyrocket that's why mark ii escorts are 70 grand and stuff like mm. that because the people that were kids when they came out are now old enough and wealthy enough to be able to go oh i'll buy one of them and i can relive my youth through that that mm. car so there's probably an aspect of that and the singer effect and people have started to go oh there's not going to be that much more time with the way we do cars so we might as well get the ones that we really want mm. and enjoy them while we still can. The, the 96.4 is a really weird one because it, it came out in the middle of a 90s recession <laughs> after that oil crisis. And, um, and so not that many were made, not that many were sold. Um, it, the first year of that car was a Carrera 4, 89. Right. And the Carrera 2 came out in 1990. So effectively, all the journalists that drove the new 911 for the first time were driving a C4, which was hugely controversial at the time to have a four-wheel drive 911. The first four-wheel drive 911 <laughs> is the 964. Um, so that didn't go down very well with the media. Then um, the first year they had dual-mass flywheels, which had failures. So again, that didn't go down very well with media and owners. <laughs> And then the other thing is in the first year, they didn't have a head ceiling rings. So there was just oil pissing out of them. Um, so suffice to say that from, from the birth, the 964 had a really bad time with all those three elements contributing to, um, to its inverted commas downfall, really, because prices just crashed. And the result is when they became a very cheap 911, people like me could afford them, who at the time couldn't necessarily afford to keep them up. Because I remember my one, the one I had, which I bought for seven grand, the engine blew up. And they quoted me eight grand to rebuild it, which was more than the value of the car. And I couldn't afford that. Yeah. So eventually I had to sell it. But the point is, is a lot of them fell into disrepair because of people like me who couldn't afford to, to yeah, repair yeah, them. Yeah, could afford the car. I mean, it was, it was so bad that you couldn't see out the rear window if you went down, if you went down the motorway. Because the oil was sitting through, the, through, coming up over the back and covering the rear windscreen. Oh, so I'd God. travel around with like five liter bottles of oil um, in the car. <laughs> had broken head studs. I mean, the thing was just mullered. But... Um, but those are the, the memories, obviously now you're... Well, I didn't care. I was in a 911, you yeah. know, that meant the world to me. And I remember saying to my dad, I'm going to buy this seven grand Porsche. And he was like, you're an absolute nutcase. It's going to go wrong yeah, yeah. and you won't be able to afford it. And then there'll be nothing but trouble. Um, I've had you know, it's called buy yourself like a reliable little hatchback yeah. for, you know, for, 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 for more reasonable money that will be more reliable. But, you know... I've had similar conversations with friends when I've looked at 30 grand V8 Vantages. <laughs> and they're like, Do you know no. what? A friend of, that is, you know, there are a lot of Porsche guys which have gone down the road of having a second car and gone for like the V8 Vantages or the DB9s because there are a lot of money. There are a lot of value for the money. Yeah. Um, sorry, there are a lot of car for the money. And, um, and it's a very different proposition. It's very, very old school. Mm. Uh, the manual gearbox with the front engine and, and you know, and the 50-50 weight distribution. And this, a friend of mine drove one to... Um, to Greece and back, and actually, until very recently, I used to have a DBS. Oh, right. Well, I say until very recently. I still do a self for sale with a dealer at the moment. 
Um, and that's for me was a total juxtaposition position because it's something modern, comfortable. It's the exact opposite of an old line eleven, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly opposite of, of, of an old line eleven, and it's so unsophisticated and has so many flaws, <laughs> but it makes it a fucking riot. Right. Um, but yeah, I can't remember where we were going. But suffice to say no, that a lot of guys if you can get in there with Advantage or get in there with a DB9, it's a lot of fun. A friend a of mine just bought a V8 Vantage convertible yeah. to accompany his GI Yaris, and it's replaced. So he had a. 718 Cayman GT4. Mm. He's replaced that with a GI Yaris and a V8 Vantage. Nice. Um, it's a nice two-car garage. It's not bad, one. yeah. And uh, he was like, oh, I could do with a bit of a road trippy car because mm. we're looking at doing Le Mans next year. And he, of all the people, he was like, I actually can't go to Le Mans. I've just bought this car that would be the perfect car, but I can't <laughs> make it. Oh, no. Um, but another friend of mine has a V8 Vantage, the four-point, the, the early one with the slightly smaller engine. Oh, yeah. But he's also got a 930 Turbo. Mm. And he's like got these two kind of opposing cars and he loves them both equally. He's mm. like, they're such opposite cars to each other, but they give so much enjoyment and engagement and enthusiasm mm. because they have their own unique personalities. Like a V8 Vantage is a very different car from a 930 Turbo, mm. but you will have a very similar smile on your face at the end driving one. For completely different reasons. Yeah. But for different wonderful reasons. Yeah. A yeah. V8 Vantage will ring your ears with V8 noise and it will hammer you down the road in a different way than a, a 930 will. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but you know where well, they say variety is spice of life, right? And that's certainly a 930 and a V8 Vantage that's a good two-car garage. He's got yeah. about 30 cars and that's not <laughs> because he's a wealthy guy. It's He's got an obsession with XJSs. <laughs> so he's got like 15 XJs. God, there's a man who likes to put himself in painful positions. Every single XJ has Jesus. got a big list of stuff that yeah, he's that, that is, uh, that is. You know what? I think I'm brave having classic air-cooled cars. Yeah, yeah. Like The guy who goes and becomes an XJS collector, yeah, he, he's seriously brave. He's not 30 yet, so yeah. that's probably why he's still, right, still okay. naive enough to think that there's a, yeah, yeah. There's a, a silver lining to these cars. And don't get me wrong, <laughs> they're good cars when they work. And yeah. He has a lot of fun with them and he tweaks them in a way to to engage with them as best as he can. Do you know what? Someone should do a resto mod if they haven't done of that because actually the shape is really interesting. He's essentially the first to really be doing yeah. that kind of thing. So he's upgrading suspension, upgrading braking, mm. fettling them in a nicer way, but without doing a full like mm. resto, resto mod. Because the thing is, is the base cars and those are cheap enough, yeah. but actually there could be a good margin. Yeah. So there probably is quite a good business case for someone, for someone there to the, do that. The fun thing about this situation is when we were at Radwood, he had the green and white one that was with all of our stuff. Hmm. Um, is that the one that was from, I want to say Mad Max, but it's no, not. it's from Curfew. That's it, that one. Sean the, Bean drove Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Richard Porter, who, is producer, who was producer and writer for Top Gear and now the Grand Tour and that, he came over and we were stood chatting away. And um, we were stood next to this Jag and we are talking about cars and this and the other. And then he has a podcast with Johnny Smith from Fifth Gear. Mm. And they did a live version. And a friend of mine messaged me and went, oh my God, they've just been talking about you and Luke on the, uh, on the live version. So I listened to it and it gets to this point and he's like, oh, someone's really resto mod an XJS. And Richard Pogg goes, someone has. And I've seen it. It's this guy, he's got this XJS and it's wide-bodied and it's green and white and it's got side pipes and it's really cool and it's, it's this awesome bit of kit. I was talking to the Tacoma t-shirt guy and he was stood there and blah, blah, blah. So you got my name wrong and... Luke has built a couple of XJs that are really nice. Yeah. And he's now recognised for this one that he hasn't built and was for a TV show and has nothing to do with him. He just owns it. So actually, I remember now, I didn't see it, I didn't see it there. Where I saw it was my friend Jack. 
Oh. So Jack from number 27 on YouTube. Right, so yeah. Jack's, it's it's really it. funny. So Jack and I have known each other since, I think, 2010 or something. And he's one of my closest friends. And both of us were in completely different industries and we both ended up in cars some yeah, way, yeah. somehow. So it's been really interesting being friends, going through, you know, discovering this kind of motoring world in a way um, together. But yeah, he did a video anyway on that car, on that XJS. Yeah. I remember, that's where I saw it first time. Right, I'm with you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that thing. So... The, there was such a lovely, hilarious irony of Richard Porter attributing Luke to a Resto <laughs> Mod XJS and the car not being one that he's done. Yeah, yeah. And at the same time, getting my business name right. <laughs> so we, we both came away like a little bit sour, but also like seeing the funny side of it. Yeah. Um, but there, you're right. There is a there is a case to it. Like it's a V12 classic coupe with. Jaguar styling from back then mm. and but rear buttresses that it shouldn't really have but it suits nonetheless yeah. and if anyone's going to do it it'll be him because he's got the space and the time and the capacity uh, I say the time quite loosely because he's his family run a recovery company um, so it's not always free and most of the time he's off to like Czechoslovakia to get a Hyundai that's been in the prang or whatever um, <laughs> But it, it's a very cool concept, and if he pulls it off right, as you yeah. say, there'll be a good market for it. Yeah, probably full of tweed and pipes, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but a market nonetheless. No market um, nonetheless. Well, yeah. we've passed the hour mark, cool. which is a good achievement. <laughs> I didn't bore you long enough. <laughs> no, no, we've not good. struggled through to an hour. Good, good. We I've them. had it in the past where you have to put a bit of work in to get to the hour mark, <laughs> um, and I think it, we've probably hit a nice kind of natural calming of the conversation and we've talked about quite a lot and one thing I didn't ask was obviously the sign on the door here is Black Betty and Co yeah we've not actually talked about that <laughs> do you want to give me some insight yeah. into Black Betty and Co yeah sure so um, there was a 964 which we talked about earlier uh, that was the first one I bought where the engine blew up and I couldn't afford to rebuild it and um then I waited a few more years, saved up a little bit more, and then I bought a black 964. Um, there was my second 911 called Black Betty. And that car is the one that I've owned the longest. Um, I want to say 15 years. It must be more than that by now. And it's the car that I've modified the most, and it's the car that I've driven the most, and it's the car that I've made the most memories with. And that's probably the one I'll end up being buried in. <laughs> right, that's fair. <laughs> um, it's now in its third iteration, and it's been off the road for about seven years. So despite it being off the road for seven years, it's still the one I've driven the most. Right. Yeah. Jeez. And you're um, limited to 10,000 miles. Sorry? It's because you're now limited to 10,000 miles. Yeah, now I am. And there's 12 cars to share. <laughs> that's it, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so this car I've been perpetually modifying and it perpetually means, it perpetually, well, it represents what driving means to me more than anything else. Um, and it started off as like, okay, the chassis, we've got it to, I've got the chassis to a point where like, it's absolutely fantastic and it's on the, and it's on the dot, but now there's the capacity to up the power. Yeah. Um, so I went down that road and I was like, okay, well, while I'm in there, do this, so I don't know. The result is the car's been stripped back to the bare shell. Every single panel has been modified in one shape or form. Every single panel is made of carbon fiber, specifically bespoke to that car, to my designs. Um, the interior, everything, every little bits and pieces. Um, and the engine is a real trick thing. Um, it's a 3.8 liter, mile of barrels and pistons. Uh, we've got a GT3 crank and a GT3 oil pump in there. Um, bow tailed and shuffle pin case, uh, ported and polished heads. Um, titanium springs and retainers and I'm sure I'm forgetting stuff got trick cams in there as well 
and um, I developed a uh, with other people a, uh, a centrifugal supercharger system. Wow! Because the problem is, is that what's called with turbo cars, um, there's always an element of lag. Yeah. And with um, with superchargers, they tend to peter out when you get to the top higher echelons of the rev limit. Um, whereas a centrifugal one is very small. It's like um, it looks like a turbo, to be honest. Um, it takes very little inertia off the crank. And it doesn't peter off. In fact, it'll keep going to 15,000 engine RPM. Not that an engine can do 15,000 yeah, yeah. RPM, but, or not that this one could, but, um, but it could do. So the point is the power is very, very linear. Because I think when, when you build a car, what, sorry, I'm going off on a slight tangent here. Oh, when, you, when you build a car, um, often what goes wrong is the, the purpose of that vehicle isn't properly defined from the outset. Mm. And so you end up with a car that's slightly compromised. It doesn't do one thing very well or another. It does both things badly yeah. um, at the bare minimum. So for me, th- the biggest enjoyment I get out of driving is doing Alpine passes. So the question I then had is, I'm building a car to give me the best experience, and for me that's Alpine passes. So what does it need to be to achieve that? It needs a linear engine. It needs softer suspension. It needs to be loud, but not so loud that on a long trip it becomes unbearable. It needs to be lightweight. It needs to have this, that, and the other. And slowly, like that, once I defined the purpose of that vehicle, what it was going to do, what it was going to achieve for me, um, I was able to then design the car around that purpose. You've got a brief then, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. So that engine, um, amongst all the elements that were designed for that for that purpose, is designed for alpine passes where you have lots of torque to get you outside of those hairpins fast and quick. Mm. Um, and you're not waiting on lag and you're not petering off towards the top end. And it's just designed to work in that environment. Perfect. So right. that car is Black Betty. And normally it's Black Betty and Co. and Company. And Company is the other cars. Right. But yeah, but so the name of the, the collection is the yeah. Well, what it was, it was a forum handle before. Right. Like the Black Betty is the name of the name of that car, and then there were other cars that came about. So it was Anco, and it was before there was Instagram and Facebook and all this. We were all on a on a forum called uh, Renlitz, or there was Renlist, or there's also Pelican Parts. Which, by the way, for anyone that's out there who's looking for some really um, good technical information. That is an absolutely incredible resource, and uh, for me, it's an invaluable tool. Yeah, both of those, um, and that was my forum handle name. Right, was the name of that car. So this will be where stuck. Sean got Ren Eleven from as well, then. Because I was always wondering why Ren. Where does that no, he would have got Ren because uh, Ren means race. Right. Okay. And uh, Porsche have used Ren a lot, so RS stands for Ren Sports. Okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so he's then. he's got it from he's there. The I'm guessing there. he's got it. From, I'm getting. I'm guessing he's got Ren from race and eleven from nine eleven. Yeah, yeah. That, it makes a lot of sense knowing the the dots. Like I'm, I I learn through exposure. If that makes sense. Like, we all do. But it's not like <laughs> I won't sit and read a book on something I'm interested mm. in. Like, I didn't know much about Renault fives until I bought one and then had to find parts for it. And then you learn all the differences between the models and the specs because you need it fits a purpose to know that information. Mm. So as I get more involved with the car world in the different directions that it takes me, I learn from that. I don't go, oh, Porsches are interesting. I'm going to write, read every Porsche book and learn every story about Porsches because I just don't absorb information that way. Mm. But I come and I sit, spend an hour sitting with you talking about Porsches and then I learn about them. Mm. And it's fun having this learning experience because I am in no way an expert on anything, but I have very good surface level on quite a lot of stuff just through being around it and absorbing the information that's mm. provided. I'm almost like, um, oh, what's it called? There's two types of mine. 
you've got like a deep dug hole to get to coal underground and then you've got one of those where you just kind of strip away yeah. the top and then you've got coal there I'm that kind of person. Well, I've learned something new myself just now about mining. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. it's probably called strip mining, where you just take the top layer off and it's all yeah. there. And you just take what's, God, what's that'd there. be an easier way to mine, wouldn't it? Oh, wouldn't it be the best? <laughs> if it was all like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But that, that, that's the joy of, A, doing what I do, because I am not specific to one thing within the car world, so it allows me access to everything. Mm. And B, it's how I learn, so I engage with it more. And doing these kind of podcasts and stuff like that gives me the opportunity to have conversations with people that I probably wouldn't spend an hour sat chatting to quite specifically. Mm. It's not very often that you can message Tuttle Porsche and go, can I sit down with your owner for an hour just to talk shit? Mm. Not many ways to do that. The same with yourself. If I just text you and, Frank, can I just come and sit in your, in your man cave for an hour and just talk about nothing? You'd probably be like, I've got stuff to do. Can you... <laughs> Can you come back when it's like a Thursday evening where I've got nothing on or something like that? It's, it's not a, a normal thing to be doing outside of, oh, we're going to record it. So I could have not turned these on and we could have just had a chat. And I'm like, ah, I got you. <laughs> like, well, I think, I think that, you know, there's, 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 a, um, there's a mutual language, you know. Like, I think enthusiasts, whatever it is that you're into, whether it's cars, boats, planes, you know, and all the rest of it. Um, you know, when, when, when enthusiasts connect... Yeah. Um, and they understand each other. They have a mutual uh, appreciation for something. There's um, something tangible there. There's an automatic friendship. It's like a, yeah, it's like a, it's like um, an inclusive little club. Yeah. You know? Like, oh, you like cars. I like cars. Cool. We're, We're probably not going to talk to anybody else at this dinner party. Yeah, yeah. It's probably just going to be you and me talking for the rest of the night. <laughs> but we're now in Paris. Yeah. And in all fairness, that's where Tacoma started. I was going into business meetings, and if it transpired that the other person was a car person, mm. oh my God, was life so much easier. Mm. Didn't have to talk about business. We just talked cars for an hour. Oh yeah, yeah, we'll sort that out. We're now mates. And that's where this idea kind of started. It was, oh, if I can make those connections without having to spend 10 minutes learning about a person, if I can just walk in and it's obvious that I'm a car person without it being a, an obvious thing. Like I'm not going to walk in wearing a Ferrari t-shirt in a business meeting. Mm. But if I had a shirt on that had golf colours running through it and you knew your cars, you'd pick up on what those colours meant. And if you didn't know your cars, it'd just be a blue and orange stripe on a shirt. And that's where this idea started. And it's obviously grown into a different direction. And now it's creating connections through the clothing and using those connections to talk a bit more openly about mental health. But again, it's that you create these connections with car enthusiasts and you've immediately got a new friend to talk to. You don't have to have the pressures of small talk, which is the most boring thing in the oh, world. I'm terrible at that. Me too. You know, I, deep down, I'm actually quite an introvert. Well, you know, it takes it takes a lot out of me to do things in big social situations. Like my father-in-law is a social butterfly, and I'm so envious of him because he get he gets energy from working a room and meeting all these people. Yeah, I find it very hard. I'll do it, and I'll be fine during the moment, but I find it very very tired. Completely after, I'm absolutely yeah. shattered. I'm very much an introvert, actually. Well, um, which is a bit strange considering like I'm event I'm an event organizer as part of boxing <laughs> gas. But actually, you know, I'm I, I yeah, I'm actually a bit more of an introvert. Well, you can be an extroverted introvert, if that makes sense. You can have the I'll capacity. take your word for it. Well, I'm <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure you can, yeah, yeah. I'm just I, I, I somewhat am the same. Like I can quite happily put my headphones on and spend ten hours designing something all by myself. Mm. And I will be perfectly happy with that. I don't need to be around people to necessarily enjoy what I'm doing. Mm. I don't need to be able to sit and chat to someone all day. I can literally listen to whatever music happens to be playing, usually something nondescript so that it's not interfering with what I'm thinking about. Mm. And I'll lose a day or two days to designing something Mm. because I'm being creative and it's part of the process. 
Alternatively, I can go to a car meet and talk to everybody at that car meet. Mm. And I've made loads of new friends and I get a bit of energy from almost being the center of attention for a bit. Mm. But there's the both sides and it's not one way or the other. I'd probably be an extroverted introvert. Like I, mm. I'm probably most com- like comfy at my own desk doing my own thing with nobody else around. Mm. But I still can enjoy the other stuff. Yeah. Whereas there are people at both ends of that spectrum that can't do the other thing. Mm. And I think we probably both just kind of sit in the middle mm. a bit more. What more leaning it, towards the introverts. What I find a little bit frustrating sometimes is that um, I think I'm not, I'm not very good necessarily at first impressions. Right. I think people find, can, 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 I don't know what it is, but sometimes I've, I've found on a few occasions where I've gone, oh, sugar, that person was there or this person was there. Why didn't they come over and say hello? And then afterwards on, on social media or wherever, they'll be like, oh, I saw your car there all out. And I'm thinking, should I just come over and said hello? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've, I've just got to work at that, I think, to, to just be a bit more open. I think um, that, yeah. As opposed to being closed off. I don't know whether it's an insecurity or whether it's, um, I don't know, a resting bitch face or whatever the fuck it could be. But for some <laughs> reason... Um, I've never always, I've never really been that approachable, and that's certainly something. I There's need to probably work an on. amount of when you hit a certain point of being kind of known, so to speak. Like you can, people know who you are when you turn up. There's probably an inherent amount of will people try and connect with me to get something from that relationship, or are people trying to be my friend? And yet that would fall within an insecurity thing, but it's a like a valid security thing. Mm. Like, as I get a little bit more recognised in certain areas and things like that, there's a certain amount of me that's wary of what's the motive behind this person coming over and saying hello and introducing themselves. Is it because they like what I do and they think it's a good thing? Or do they see the potential of something that I'm working on and they go, ah, I can benefit from this? And it would be completely understandable if that's the reason, because you are... The guy that turns up in a wide body 993, you're inherently going to get people go, ah, oh, there's someone over there that might have benefit for me. I'm going to go and try and leverage that. So it, it makes sense to go, oh, we'll wait and see if people come over and I won't make it as easy to get into that me as a person as I may have done when I was younger and less kind of conspicuous, is the word, <laughs> which is completely understandable. Mm. And it's not a, a judgment against you if you are a little bit at arm's length at first impressions. Like when we mm. first met, it was because of um, Chris Gavin, mm. and you were forced to spend an hour with this chatterbox. And it, it wasn't that <laughs> was you were I? like, I don't remember. Yeah, it was. It was at a scramble. No, I remember. I mean, I remember meeting you for the first time, absolutely. But I, I suddenly don't remember being forced. I remember enjoying your company and thinking, I'm looking forward to seeing this chap again next time. You know, what's will we bump into each other? And it was. Lo and behold, here we are doing a podcast, however many months later. Yeah, but it, it um, was funny that I. Uh, I remember. I'm very talkative. But listen, the, the truth is, is like what's called. I, I love cars and I love stories and I love hearing about people's memories, and. I don't care what someone drives. I don't care what's on the badge. Yeah. What I care about is them. I care about that car and I care about the memories they made with them. So any enthusiast who wants to tell me their story and how they broke down the side of the motorway and they found a piece of, you know, uh, they MacGyvered their way, <laughs> yeah. you know, to what's called to, to Scotland or wherever else they were going and they've done this or that to their car. I want to hear that story. Yeah, I want that yeah. person to come over and, um, and, and, and I want to hear that story because it's, it's infectious. It's yeah. tangible. You know, and it's exciting, you know, yeah, and you're yeah. sharing stories and you're bonding. So, yeah, like what's called, then, yeah, so, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to make you a t-shirt that says, hi, I'm Frank, please come and speak. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just so you can wear it. Yeah. So I am an introvert, 
but having said that, when 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 you know it's called, we do car stuff and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I want to meet people. I want to hear about their stories. I want to hear about their cars. I want the interesting stuff. Yeah, you know, I'm not that so interested in the car that's got low mileage and that's not being driven. But whatever the car it is, whether it's a Citroen Saxo that you pour your heart and soul into and have put fantastic modifications into, or whether it's, I don't know, something else, I want to hear that story. I want to meet that person. Amazing. And um, I well, want to create events that bring those type of people together. Well, yeah. hopefully enough people hear this and you get people wandering over to you at events now. Like, oh, you're the <laughs> rest, nice. rest bitch face guy. I yeah, 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 that's you. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you I'll, even, I'll even put on this. a smile. I just don't tell anyone because it'll ruin my reputation. Yeah, it's, but, the, yeah. it's the cool guy over there that, that's <laughs> just not smiling at anyone. He's really friendly. Go and speak to him. No. Um, but we hit an hour 20 minutes ago and we're like, oh, we're probably wrapping up and then we've done 20 more minutes. <laughs> Listen, I'm easy. Like you said, you know, when you're chatting with friends, conversation flows and it's easy. Yeah, exactly. So it's not exactly a hardship to chat with you, Lewis. But it, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you Likewise, on board. So I'm going to wrap up there because cool. I think we've, we've actually just had a very nice moment. So I'm going to leave <laughs> it at that rather yeah. than ruin it with my own chat. Dude, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I look forward to hearing your... about more of the adventures you have um, um, there's going to be a few I can see I can see yours. adventures on the horizon so hopefully one day I, uh, I steer one of those adventures towards a 911 and then we can have a proper stand all together with Porsches <laughs> um, but no thank you so much Frank and no, I'm going to stop dude. recording there